This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03. You made it to Friday afternoon, June 9th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. Coming up in Entrepreneur Friday, we'll meet the founder of a company whose business includes designing mascots for sports teams and corporations. But right now, what appeared to be, at least on the surface, a done deal for a Bears stadium in Arlington Heights has taken a turn this week. Let's discuss the drama with Bob Reed, business writer and contributor at Chicago Magazine. Bob, thank you for joining us today. Lots of developments in the Bears Stadium saga in the last seven days, beginning with the announcement almost a week ago at this time that uh, Bears officials had engaged with the city of Naperville about potentially building a new stadium in the western suburb. And now Mayor Johnson's team has met with the Bears about the, the possibility of staying inside the city of Chicago, if not Soldier Field. Is this designed to exert pressure on Arlington Heights to get their act together, or is this just simply the Bears thinking about uh, possibly staying inside the city, and this is a real offer and not just posturing? Well, you know, Rob, the Bears want complete revenue control, and the only way they can do that is by building a new stadium. Soldier Field, as it is, just doesn't fit the bill because there's a lack of so many opportunities for the Bears. I actually saw one estimate that says that the Bears are losing 60 to $70 million annually simply because they can't maximize the stadium the way their other NFL competitors are. And by that, I mean they don't have naming rights. The stadium is small compared to other NFL stadiums. Uh, you, know, you can't really put up a sports book and, and exploit it the way that you want. It's not interactive. So if Mayor Johnson is talking about the Bears staying at Soldier Field, there's a lot of things that have to be settled before that can be done. I think the Bears are doing some venue shopping. I think they're trying to shake up the people who are pushing back on the Arlington Heights uh, bid. And uh, we'll see where this goes, but, uh, you know, it ain't over till it's over. Is this the first time that Mayor Johnson's team has uh, sat down with officials from the Bears? Because I know the, the Bears and the Lightfoot administration uh, had been talking prior to the election, but uh, I seem to recall that on the day it was announced that the Bears were putting in a bid for the Arlington Park property, uh, the city of Chicago came back with a comment that would that kind of fit in as a call on the score as opposed to... An opening for negotiation, and was the the water permanently poisoned between uh, the Lightfoot administration and the Bears, and and maybe there's a possibility of a reopening with a new mayor. 
I think there's a possibility. It was a very chilly uh, relationship between the Lightfoot administration and the Bears as it wore down to the end. But again, Johnson has to find, come up with a way that's really going to light things up creatively. Now, what can that be? He can try to work with Soldier Field. He can talk about other opportunities, land opportunities within Chicago. But all of this is really going to have to come up against what Arlington Heights can provide. You know, it's open land. It's next to a, a railroad uh, track and a station. Uh, it can be developed in other ways besides the stadium. The biggest problem there is that the Bears don't like the uh, new uh, assessed valuation for taxes. They're going to push back on that. You know, they're not alone. The previous owners pushed back on it, too. And then very quickly, I mean, just because this parcel of land has been in the news this week with the possibility that uh, the CTU pension fund may ride to the rescue, but uh, is uh, Lincoln Yards a potential site for a new stadium if they choose to stay the Bears in, in Chicago? Well, I, I think if they get into that, they're going to run into neighborhood problems that they never even knew could exist. Uh, yeah, maybe it's a possibility or a talking point. But, you know, uh, neighborhood groups are getting much more uh, aggressive in pushing back on projects. You see it in Evanston, where Northwestern is trying to do more with the uh, uh, Ryan Stadium. Uh, you actually saw it up in Deerfield when uh, an industrial park was trying to be built there, and the neighborhood pushed back. Uh, these are not easy things to do, and a football stadium brings an awful lot of new problems as well as opportunities. Bob Reed, business writer and contributor for Chicago Magazine, thank you for joining us today. Coming up, turning a passion for costume wear into a thriving business. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and in this segment, we're taking a journey into the world of cosplay, mascot design, and more with Jess West, founder of Jess West Costumes in Indianapolis. The website, JessWestCostumes.com. Jess, thank you for joining us today. And this is a rapidly growing field. And it, it seems like we're, it's like maybe the 50th anniversary of uh, science fiction conventions, fantasy conventions. I think the first uh, uh, Star Trek fans were the first one to kick this particular thing off in the early 1970s. But since then, they've grown bigger. They have become even more elaborate. And this is where Hollywood goes now to show off all of its blockbuster products for the summer and for the uh, holiday season. And with that, uh, the costumes that people wear to these conventions get that much more elaborate and close to the real thing. And Jess, that's where you come in. Absolutely. Yes. How are you? Good. <laughs> um, I've been making these costumes for quite some time now. Yeah, I, have, I do a lot of Gen Con, Comic Con, Pop Con here locally at Indianapolis. Um, and I also have people, you know, flying all over the country to have stuff made by me, you know, for certain events and things like that. So it, it's funny you mentioned Gen Con. I used to work in Milwaukee and for many decades, that is where Gen Con was located. It was a summer tradition. And uh, you would see people you, you would walk down Water Street uh, in Milwaukee during Gen Con. You would see Star Wars characters. You would see Klingons. You would see uh, Dungeons and Dragons characters. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was homemade. And, and people would maybe get patterns off of the off of the Internet or send away for them and make it themselves. Um, how did you start and and how did your own craft evolve before you went into business for yourself? Uh, well, I started when I was 12. The first costume I made was Poison Ivy um, from the 1992 Batmans. Um, 
And then over time, you know, gradually it got better and better and better um, as I went self-taught artist. Um, and then eventually people, you know, wanted to start to pay me to create things for them. I now have a team of two girls, Tori and Becca, that work for me. Uh, we have a nice big shop and we make all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and it just keeps evolving over time. I think any skill craft does for an entrepreneur or anybody that's a maker of things. And what was your first paid costume? Uh, my first paid costume. Oh my gosh, this was so long ago. My, I, I would say let's let's go with my first like big big paid costume in Indianapolis. I was a Chewbacca. Um, I did it for um, a Gen Con. Um, I was uh, I was done. I was done. Uh, it was about sixty thousand people were standing around waiting for this costume to show up at Gen Con, and we got at the costume contest and everything. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> and how'd you do in the costume contest? Uh, definitely won. Um, but I won, let's see here, at PopCon, we, there was a Star Wars uh, category, and I definitely took first place for that. I'm one of the only women in the United States to make a life-size Chewbacca. I wear stilts, and I'm seven foot five in them. <laughs> well, that's good. That's, the, the, the devotion to accuracy is really key in, uh, in, in any costume contest, so I do appreciate that. But you've also branched out into mascots. So is this um, custom-made mascots where you kind of work with a corporation or a team to uh, bring this vision to life? Or is it say, well, here, here's our guy, you know, he's a really cool-looking fish. Uh, can you please bring the cool fish to life? Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of both. Um, a lot of people sort of give me the keys to the car, if you will. So they'll come to me and, um, you know, that's what they're they're paying me to do is to create a vision for them. I'm taking what they see, you know, inside their mind and turning it into something in real life. Um, we'll do anything from mascots. I've done um, stuff for the New York Yankees, their Aaron Judge gowns. Um, I've done stuff for MTV for a couple of shows. Um, I have people come in that go to Burning Man every year. Um, we make outfits for them. Um, you know, stuff all across the country. I've had a um, a couple of uh, drag queen costumes that have been gone viral online. So it's really a combination of lots of different things um, that people will need. And usually it's, you know, I get to have the freedom to express myself creatively. And then very quickly, when it comes to uh, like the category of fantasy costumes that uh, you specialize in, you talked about how you kind of made your name with the uh, with, with the true-to-life Chewbacca, uh, the seven-foot-five uh, specs from Wikipedia, I would imagine. But um, mm-hmm. do, is it guard? Guardians of the Galaxy? Is it still Star Wars? I mean, do you sit there and just kind of rub your hands together watching The Mandalorian thinking, aha, more business coming my way? Uh, To be honest with you, it's just really across the board. My business motto is I can make anything. So I really get excited when people come to me with creatures that um, they've always wanted to be. I mean, it's, it's not really one thing. I really have a really hard time pinpointing things, but I definitely do love the monster movies the best. And then uh, where do you see yourself going from here? I mean, it's just, I mean, the, uh, uh, you know, comic book movies and Star Wars and science fiction just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as just a a, a center of commerce. And I would imagine you're along for the ride. Right, exactly. Um, I have a couple of things, big things coming up. Um, I'm not really supposed to talk about, so I can't really mention those, but I definitely have some big things coming up and hopefully um, branching out into uh, bigger and better things, maybe out west or something like that, so... Jess West, founder of Jess West Costumes in Indianapolis. Thanks for joining us today. You can find her online, JessWestCostumes.com. Coming up next, rival automakers team with Tesla for electric vehicle charging stations. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. General Motors is joining Ford in partnering with Tesla on electric vehicle charging networks. Let's get the details from John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv. 
TV in Detroit. John, thank you for joining us today. And this is a case of Tesla being the biggest and the first, and they get to set the terms of the marketplace. Uh, not just the biggest and the first, the best as well. They have the best charging system out there. It's very reliable. It's very efficient. The plugs that you use to, to plug into your electric car are smaller and lighter and more efficient than what's out there. And, you know, first Ford decided, hey, why don't we just sign up with them? And then GM couldn't let Ford get away with that, so they signed up too. But, yeah, th- this puts Tesla in the driver's seat in establishing a North American standard for how to charge electric cars. And is, is there kind of an analog in the, uh, the history of the automotive industry where one particular company uh, proved to be so large that they set the standard for the other entrants into the marketplace? I mean, clearly, this must not be the first time in the history of cars that uh, someone developed the standard for some sort of technology and everyone else followed. You know, I'm sure you're right, Rob. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Here's what makes this one different. The Society of Automotive Engineers, which really sets standards for all kinds of automotive things. Like even if you look on your a can of oil for a car, it'll have a SAE number on it. Anyway, about a decade ago, 2009 to be precise, they all got together, all the automakers, to figure out an EV standard for charging. Tesla was part of it. Tesla had all these ideas. Everyone ignored it. And then they came up with their own standard, and Tesla did their own. Everybody at the SAE on that committee was very annoyed that Tesla went out and did this thing on their own. Uh, But it turns out that Tesla had a better system. So, I mean, not only did it come up with a better system, it it, it sort of bucked what everybody else was doing and went off on its own. And and now, uh, in the case of GM and Ford, they're beating a path to Tesla's door. And is this a, a a possible revenue? It has to be a revenue stream for Tesla. I mean, in terms of uh, licensing this technology, I mean, will will the other automakers uh, pay Tesla for the privilege of being able to use its tech? You know, no one has said that yet, but I got to believe it's true because when you go to charge a Tesla, when you come up to the charger, there's no touch screen, there's no credit card swiping thing, nothing like that. You do it through an app on your phone, a Tesla app. So GM and Ford, to make this all go very efficiently, are going to want to tap into that app. And undoubtedly, not only is Tesla going to make money over the charging of, you know, GM and Ford EVs coming in, they're going to collect data on that, data that can be monetized. So, yeah, this is a big win for Tesla all the way around. And another barrier to entry for electric car newbies falls because not only was there, is there concern if, if you don't drive an electric car, where do I charge this thing? Uh, the other point of concern is, does my plug work? Right. There, that, there's that. Now, at first, GM and Ford are going to have adapters. So, you know, you'll take your GM or Ford EV plug, you'll plug it into the adapter and plug it into the, the Tesla uh, or use that from the, the Tesla chargers. Uh, but around 2025, they're going to start building the, the Tesla uh, socket right into their EVs. And uh, so it, it's very interesting that uh, we are going to have two different standards now, the Tesla standard called NACS and the other standard everybody else is using called CCS. And, uh, you know, we're going to plug the gap between the two by using adapters until everybody adapts one or the other. John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv in Detroit. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Entrepreneur Friday, selling collectible sneakers on Chicago's South Side. 
Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This is Chicago's news, traffic, and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A deadly fire in Chicago includes a victim with a gunshot wound. Former President Trump prepares for arraignment on federal charges. It's Entrepreneur Friday, turning collectible sneakers into a growing business. Netflix limits password sharing and its number of subscriptions soars. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 19 points. The NASDAQ is up 56, the S&P 500 up 10, 76 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies going up to 80 today, cooler by the lakefront. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour, an overnight fire on Chicago's west side may be more than it first appeared to be. Here's WBBM's Bernie Tafoya. Around 2.15 in the morning, Chicago firefighters responded to an apartment building fire in the 200 block of South Laverne in the South Austin neighborhood. There were flames on the second and third floors, according to the fire department's Twitter feed. A 57-year-old woman was taken in critical condition to Stroger Hospital, but police say that when she got to the hospital, doctors determined she had been shot in the right leg. She eventually died, and Area 4 detectives are investigating. Bernie Tafoya, News Radio, 1059 WBBM. Former President Trump is set to be arraigned in Miami on Tuesday. He faces a seven count federal indictment accusing him of mishandling documents in his possession after he left office and obstructing the government's effort to get the documents back. More from CBS News senior investigative correspondent Catherine Herridge. This is the most serious legal exposure that he faces because these are criminal charges that have to do with the stewardship of national security, and he is promoting himself as someone who has the skill set and the trust to be a president of the United States for a second term. The indictment will be unsealed, revealing the specific charges at the arraignment. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are higher. They had been kind of all over the place earlier in the earlier in the session. We're joined by Gary Kulpbaum, President Kulpbaum Capital Management in Orlando. Thanks for joining us today, Gary. Let's talk about the S&P 500 hitting, its, uh, hitting the 4,300 benchmark for the first time since 
August of 2022. Is that sustainable as not even as the year goes on, but as as we go into next week, a lot of data on inflation and on what the Fed's thinking? As long as the big technology names, which have been carrying the weight, continue to do their thing, and today is another one of those days. As I speak, the NASDAQ's up 58. Advanced declines on the NASDAQ is 14 to 23, which tells you uh, NVIDIA, Netflix, Tesla, Adobe, and a few others really carrying the weight. So as long as they continue, uh, pretty fine. When you take away a lot of those tech names, there's just a lot of things that are just, I would just call them dead money. They're not hurting anybody like they used to while the market was really bearish, but they're certainly not doing much for the market. That's, this is the place to be right now, and I keep waiting for when it isn't. And as of today, it's still going. Some of the uh, tech companies making some moves today. Tesla up 5% in early trading on, on news. We talked about in the last segment that GM will use its electric vehicle charging network. Uh, what does that mean long term for Tesla stock that uh, it is now the industry standard in electric vehicles? Uh, the best thing I can say up front is it doesn't hurt. That's number one. And number two, when you're in the industry standard of an industry that looks like it's going to grow leaps and bounds over the next decade or two, uh, could be meaningful to what, uh, how much, don't know. Uh, but certainly the market's uh, marking it up today on that. Uh, and I would not be arguing with it. And then one one thing that really jumped out at me that was interesting is that uh, DocuSign, uh, the the technology that allows you to uh, sign contracts and and other documents uh, virtually, up seven uh, percent. They beat beat analysts' first quarter expectations. That one seemed to me like it might have been a pandemic darling uh, that you would use uh, DocuSign to uh, execute uh, contracts and so on and so forth because you couldn't meet in person. That maybe the waters right. would recede, but it seems to be doing pretty well even as we go back to uh, conducting business in person. Well, the business is not going away, but the question is whether it's a gross growth business. You got to remember, stocks uh, go higher because of the ability to grow business, and if you can't grow as well as you used to, usually you pay a penalty. And you have to remember, this stock was over three hundred dollars in twenty-one. It's fifty-six bucks today, so it's already had the big markdown. And maybe the worst is over. And I'm seeing that in a lot of names that were destroyed in the bear market, that they went down 70, 80, 90 percent and market saying enough's enough. But again, if DocuSign can't find other avenues to grow the business like they did during the pandemic, it'll just be an average type stock that's not really going to lead the market. And then uh, let's look ahead to next week. A couple of big things, uh, starting with CPI and then uh, the the Fed policy meeting, where right now the expectation is they're going to announce uh, a pause or a hold in uh, hiking interest rates. They won't do it this month. But I guess uh, what everyone's looking for is any forward-looking guidance after that statement. Yeah, they've already telegraphed, uh, unless you know they drink some uh, wine during the meeting and change their mind. Uh, that they're not going to raise rates. I'm pretty sure, though, they're going to make the statement just in case, hey, but we stand fast if inflation picks up, that we may have to do more. So I think that's probably all baked in the cake. And I really don't think the Fed is the market mover that it is now that it used to be. Uh, for me, I'm more watching earnings uh, and, and this AI thing. Uh, I know it's talked about a lot, 
uh, but it's meaningful. Uh, there were companies, Adobe yesterday did an Adobe meeting, and I think they mentioned it 750 times, and the stock went up 22 bucks and got upgraded again today. It's up another 17. So that's basically what I'm really watching closely because I'm a theme guy. You make your biggest money getting big uptrends on themes, and that right now is uh, number one front and center. Gary Kalpam, President Kalpam Capital Management in Orlando, Florida. Thank you for joining us today. Find him online at GaryK.com. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, we meet a Chicago businessman whose latest venture is welcoming more customers to Sneakerville. It's the only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're meeting a Chicago business owner whose interests include multiple collectible sneakers, and fried chicken locations. Welcome in James Denman, who is the founder and co-owner of Sneakerville 88 with locations in the Bronzeville and Hyde Park neighborhoods in Chicago. James, uh, thank you for joining us today. And you call yourself a serial entrepreneur, and this is your latest venture, but I want to ask you about uh, one of your other ventures, and that is you are the owner of some Harold's Chicken Shack franchises in Chicago. And how does one business, the restaurant business, snack up with, uh, stack up with uh, selling sneakers? Totally different business when you come to the restaurant business and the sneaker business. The sneaker business is a great business. The markup is wonderful. Compared to the restaurant business, there's a little, the markup is not as great. And then a lot of people, you know, I always ask this of people who call themselves self-serial entrepreneurs, because for a lot of people, just building up the gumption and the courage and the confidence to even think about starting your own business is itself an accomplishment. And then when you do it multiple times, you know, what is it about your mindset uh, that gives you that confidence to take that swing at the ball? It's just being able to just take a chance on some things. And uh, I think I just was fortunate enough to make some good decisions and uh, wasn't afraid to take some uh, opportunities and things so far has been successful. And then Sneakerville 88, uh, this is uh, uh, taking advantage of a scene that has exploded by leaps and bounds in recent years, and that is uh, collectible sneakers, uh, finding them, acquiring them, and buying them on the resale market. So were you kind of an observer of this scene before you elected to, 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 to jump into it as a business? Oh, absolutely. I studied the business for about a year or two. And this was just paying attention to a lot of the local stores and and businesses like that. And then it was a market that I felt like it was a market I could get into and, and be successful in. So uh, absolutely, I definitely uh, looked around, followed a lot of different people in the sneaker business. And what are some of the things that you learned about it during that year-long process before uh, you went into business that you may not have known or uh, th that you did not know as a civilian and that we do not know as people who are not in the business? Well, I learned that the sneaker business is a fun business. It's, it's, it's a business that you can really enjoy. It's not a really uh, strenuous business. It's, you know, it's a lot. It's a fun business. People come in all the time. You meet different people every day. And, you know, uh, people get to meet you. And it's just a great business. And I think it's a great business, you know, for people to get into. Uh, I brought my daughter, is the co-owner, Jamie Denman. And it was just something that I felt like she would really enjoy. And I was going to ask you that before we talk about uh, how you find the sneakers and bring them in. Uh, you know, what, what's it like working with your daughter? 
just a great experience. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world. Good opportunity to see it every day, work with it every day, see her grow, see her learning the business, enjoying the business. So it's just a wonderful opportunity. And then was she always interested in what you were doing, even as a child? Absolutely. Uh, I had one of my first stores when she probably was like two years old, and she got opportunity to see me working as a as a child and growing up in the business. And she, you know, just came right in and has been a, a bungalow joy. Well, that's that's terrific. That's an amazing feeling, especially uh, my own self. Uh, I have three daughters at home, and I, I, can't, I can't imagine the pride that you must be feeling uh, going into business with her. And uh, I, 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 now, now, when it comes to getting sneakers to Sneakerville, where do you go? I mean, how, how do you search and how do you find particular sneakers that are unique or interesting or in demand or maybe a couple of years old? You know, how far do you cast your net? Well, we could go back pretty far. You know, every every two weeks, once a month, new shoes come out every week. And this is like something that you just know how to do. So it's like people are out here. You got some people selling sneakers on the Internet. But, you know, we, we, we have an online business also. But I like to interact with the customers. So they come in and they want to shoot for that day or for that night. I think that's the great thing about it for people to be able to come in and enjoy that sneaker, get a chance to try it on and see how it looks. So I think that's one of the great things about that. And, you know, getting sneakers, you know, this is what we do. You know, we have an outlet where we can get sneakers from it. I think it's just been a a great thing. And then lastly, uh, you have two locations in Chicago, but uh, is your customer base like basically around the world? Uh, on the internet wise, yes, it is. You know, people can uh, Google us at Sneakerville eighty eight, and we got people that from New York, LA, all over the world that uh, order sneakers from us. James Denman, founder and co-owner of Sneakerville eighty eight, with locations in Chicago's Bronzeville and Hyde Park neighborhoods, and uh, his partner is his daughter. Still to come, the Netflix password crackdown is yielding results. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Netflix is cracking down on password sharing, and the strategy is working. Let's get the latest from Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Viter Group in Chicago. Tim, thank you for joining us today. The streaming giant says it saw signups jump by 102% over the rolling average right before that change in policy. So it's I'm guessing at Netflix headquarters, it must be saying, why did we wait so long? Well, you know, it's a great question. And I think the reality is that this is the beginnings of uh, coming home to roost on the business model. And, you know, one of the easiest ways is to uh, crack down on uh, leakage, I guess you could say, of subscriptions. Um, It's it's pretty straightforward textbook stuff. Um, And frankly, all the other streaming services will have to uh, similarly do do the same in terms of uh, ensuring that uh, actual subscribers uh, are not uh, sort of uh, sharing and, and going beyond sort of the, the tenets of a subscription. And, um, and I do good. I was going to say it's also inter- interesting to note too that uh, the the commercial tier of Netflix introduced uh, not too long ago is also yielding some positive results as well. Well, for sure, and I think you're going to see um, uh, a lot more. 
uh, people, especially those that get kicked out from the uh, tightening of the subscription password sharing thing, uh, think about very much what the value proposition is for, their, for a Netflix subscription. I think um, a lot of folks who were surprised by this move, and it's only been two weeks, uh, immediately signed up because they needed or fe- figured that they needed to watch something on Netflix in the short term. I think as, t- as time goes on, and it could be a few months from now, um, people will either think that, you know, this is not going to be worth it uh, because um, I-, I can't afford to sort of pay this sort of pure play subscription uh, thing, or uh, the ad-supported product may indeed be uh, an economical way for me to continue with Netflix. I, I think, frankly, what we're going to see in the next couple of months is uh, some real uh, uh solidification of these numbers. I think it's a short-term pop. I'm not sure it's a long-term success story. Is uh, the ad term, the ad-supported version of Netflix, or maybe ad-supported versions of other streaming services, is that the future of the direct-to-consumer model? Because I just had this vision in my head uh, that the vision, the, the future of streaming is that there's a consolidation into three major streaming services, and they're competing with each other just like it's 1979. Yeah, well, it's also actually a recreation of the cable model, which is sort of the best business model uh, ever created, and that is getting paid for a subscription and for adver- and to accept advertising. And, and, exactly and for retransmission, there. too. That was a lot of free money. Yeah, for sure. So, I, I look, there's no question that these streaming services will benefit the most when people both pay and see advertising at the same time. That's the big, fat middle of the business models for all of these streaming services going forward. Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Vertair Group in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today, a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.